Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Thank you for listening to Wired This Way. I'm Andrew Porter. I appreciate all the feedback on social media and all the comments coming in. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, however you get your podcasts, rate, review. I appreciate all the feedback. Keep them coming. Subscribe, rate. Thanks a lot. Hope you enjoy this episode with Rhea Hughes. You know, there's so many women doing it now, which is cool. I love, you know, that you can turn on. But I just never felt like, uh, listen, I would get letters and stuff like that. You know, you belong in the kitchen. And I would read them on the air and go, the last place you would ever want me is in the kitchen um, because I could kill you there. On the radio, I can't kill you. But I, I just... I come from a real strong family, a real strong mom, and so I just never let any of it by. I just, you know, I came in, I knew if I worked hard, I would I would have a job every day. From 94 WIP, it's Wired This Way, a show about the top sports personalities in Philadelphia, their lives, their stories, and their success. I'm Andrew Porter. Rhea Hughes grew up in southwest Philadelphia in a jam-packed house of nine children. Rhea lost her father at four years old, who worked in radio. Her stepdad, the man who raised Rhea, is a retired Philadelphia police officer. So what was her childhood like? Chaotic. (laughs) I was, uh, uh, we had a a large family. My mom and dad had six kids together, three boys and three girls. Um, And unfortunately, my first dad, I always say that because I was kind of have two of them. My first dad passed away when I was four. So my mom remarried when I was 10 and he kind of raised his three boys with us. So I have six brothers and two sisters, and I'm the baby. So it was, <laughs> so I, uh, I had, and and my uh, my my first dad was actually in radio. He was a DJ, he spun records, oh, wow. and my second dad, the dad who who's raised me, you know, for the past you know forty plus years, he uh, is a was a is retired now, Philadelphia police officer. So having six brothers and a dad who's a cop. <laughs> <laughs> made, made I didn't have a lot of boyfriends growing up, so <laughs> it made life difficult. So, did your second dad get yeah. you into sports? Not at all. Okay. Had virtually. He's really funny. He'll watch the last two minutes of a basketball game because he thinks that's all that counts. Um, no, my mom did. My mom was a massive fan, and my mom has always told me the story when she first married my dad she kind of got annoyed that she would kind of get, you know, kicked out on Sundays or whenever the big games were on because, you know, women didn't watch what we're talking about the fifties, you know, women. And she said, she says, the story she's told me is she said to my dad, teach me the game. And, uh, my family was always a baseball fan, but she didn't know football that well. And so she, uh, she learned it from him and I got my love of sports from my mother, baseball, football. Well, um, so did you? Did she play sports too? Did you she, play sports? I believe, she played field hockey. Okay. So um, she played field hockey. I I ran track. That was uh that was my thing. My sister Stephanie, who's two years older than me, scholarship player at St. Joe's, and the team she was on as a freshman uh, was the first team ever at St. Joe's to go to the NCAA. She she's really wow. good. Could play could play defense and shoot the three. So it was so, all in the family. Yeah. So like Eagle Sundays were a big deal. Yeah. Oh no. De- yeah. Well, you know, it's funny when I was good. There's a kind of line of demarcation when I was growing up, we were a baseball family. Okay. And I had a great aunt, my Aunt Ree, who would come up from Florida in the summer because it was too hot down there, and she would live in my bedroom all summer. And she was a diehard Phillies fan. So I went to bed every single night. All I heard were the Phillies broadcast. And so we were real, real baseball fans. 
And I try to explain to some people, some people look at, you know, Buddy Ryan never won a playoff game. That's true. Completely changed. You know, people love Dick Vermeil, But when Buddy came here, Buddy kind of tapped into that everybody hates us, but we hate the Cowboys kind of thing. He, he just, I was a teenager then. So it really resonated, I think, with a lot of people who were probably kind of around my age, where that began to overtake the baseball just because Buddy just kind of tapped into something visceral, I think, in some Philadelphians, me included. And so it became, that became bigger, much bigger as I was a teenager. Um, and then, so you go to high school in Wilmington. Commuted every day from Southwest Philadelphia. Both my sisters went to West Catholic. Uh, my brother, Richard, super smart. He went to the prep, St. Joe's prep. And I guess for some reason, my mom thought I needed to, uh, uh, I needed to have an ass kicking in, uh, in high school. And so sent me out of, uh, out of state every day I commuted. Just and because, or did you struggle in school? Or? Not, I didn't struggle in school, but I wasn't exactly, um, I was a pain in it. Let's just say okay. I was a bit of a troublemaker as a young child, but, uh, best decision she ever made. I mean, it was a great school. And ran went out, uh, running track there. Blew out my knee my freshman year playing basketball. Um, not not on a team. I was just playing right. basketball in gym and blew my knee out. And like so tore an ACL. I, I had chondromalacia, wow. which which I so when Chase Utley got diagnosed with it, I was a complete expert. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just never healed, so they wound up doing surgery on it. I was young enough that that kind of surgery took. Um, so I, nine months later, I was running again. But you uh, ran track all throughout. I ran my junior and senior year. Did you? What were those four years of high school like, and did you develop like um, a passion for broadcast journalism at that point, or this is still too? Early? My mother will tell you when I was four years old, I announced that I was going to be on the radio. Okay. So, uh, and I could have gotten that from my dad. You know, right. like I said, my uh, my uh, dad uh, and my dad had had a, you know great name for radio, Mike Hughes, and in his promo shot, he would draw an old fashioned mic in between it, so, and apparently he had great pipes. I I don't remember, and I've never heard any any tapes of them, but I've always wanted to do it. There was uh, no doubt I wanted to go to Temple University. Uh, I wanted to go there for radio, television, and film. It was I, it was very easy for me to know what I was doing in my life because I decided it for some reason at a young age that I was going into radio, and that was it. Well, do you think it's like a way for you to get closer to your to your dad? Like, you, or you, you know, yeah, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I'm the only one who did it, and I'm the one who knew him the least. Right. So that's where I think sometimes you're just... Um, you know, it's in your blood. So I, I do believe that because I, I mean, I, I only know him really from stories. I only have a couple of memories of him. So, um, but I'm the only one who went into radio. So I think that's kind of pretty cool. So then you go to Temple yep. for four years. How was that experience? Loved it. That? I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a, di- people who know me here know I'm a diehard uh, Temple uh, fan. I, um, I did women's play-by-play uh, basketball there. Right away, like uh, you got into it. I, well, I joined the radio station. Um, I my junior year, I was in. Uh, I studied in London. We had a little newspaper we put out. I was a sports editor of it, um, and but yeah, I did that. Um, I, the play-by-play of uh, of the women's and the women's team was not very good when I was there. So I had to learn early on how to talk a lot, just to get through games where we get it. We were getting blown out by like four. I remember doing a game up. I think at Rutgers, and it was. It might have been 50 points. It was, and I'm going, I don't even know what to talk about at this point. So, um, so yeah, I, and I worked at the radio station there, which was jazz. Right. So, and I was never, never a jazz fan, still not a jazz fan, but you know, I wanted to work at the radio. That was our, that was kind of our, our um, university uh, radio station. So I didn't really have any choice, but I learned a lot there. A female working in the sports media industry is rare today. 
let alone a female college student working in sports radio in the late 1980s. That was basically unheard of. Throughout her time at Temple and into her career, and even to this day, Rhea dealt with and deals with the challenges of being a female in a male-oriented industry. Did you want to do sports specific? Yes, absolutely. That's the only thing I did at Temple. Was that rare for a female to do? Like, were there many other? No, (laughs) there were not. And so it's funny you ask that. The very first job I get, I'm lucky. I come right out of Temple, and I get a job right away at uh, WILM News Radio in Wilmington. And I just took a reporter job doing mornings. So I've been doing mornings my entire life. And I thought, okay, this is a way to get my foot in. The guy who was doing sports there leaves after about a month or so. And I go, oh, my God. this is a, And they're like, you're going to have to do you know, the sports updates. And I'm, I'm like, this is great. I, I go, can I get uh, credentials you know, to go cover? I was living in Philadelphia and commuting down there to do the games. I mean, to do my, uh, do my job on the radio in the morning. And they go, well, we're not going to pay you for it. I go, I don't care. I just want the, the credential. Yeah, you're young. To get in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I you know, who can no, I don't have any I was right. making $14,000 a year. Right. <laughs> I was living with my parents. I had no money. Um so I started getting credentials that way and I was loving it because I was going to the games. I think I think I got to cover a Buddy Ryan game. Uh, I think I covered his very last game before he and then he got fired. And um then they decided but the whole time I was doing it, I, I kind of got the feeling they were looking for a guy to replace me because mm-hmm. women didn't do sports. Right. And they wound up, did getting a guy. And, you know, you could say he wound up being a good friend and uh, and somebody I really respected. And he felt bad. He was just like, and I said, it's okay, you know, I'm going to do my thing, you know, but I got the taste of doing it. And I was like, plus I will say being a report. I don't know how news reporters do it. The stuff that I had to cover was just... I said, I want to stay in this stupid little world of sports where, you know, we're just concerned about whether or not somebody strikes out or doesn't catch the ball, not life or death. So right. that kind of cemented it with me because I got I was doing both at the same time. And I went, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. But that uh, barrier to entry for you, like you kind of knew that was coming because you were a female. And, like, Stupidly, no. I thought, OK, this is, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to. So I, I did get a little mad about it. But, right. you know, my mom just said to me one time, she just goes, look this is what you've decided to do. So don't bitch and complain about it. You know, don't want, you have to work harder than anybody. You have to know more. You have to be, and, and my dad, uh, my dad, Chuck, who's the retired police officer, you know, gave me this great advice. He'd always said, you know, your, your best thing is knowing everything that you do, but being available. Like don't ever call out sick. I, they joke on the morning show all the time that I have perfect attendance. I think I've missed one day in 20 plus years here. And uh, and I think it was because of my son. It wasn't me. I had like 104 fever. And Angela's like, don't you dare come in here. Right. Um, so I came to WIP after I left WILM as a as a producer overnights. And I, I was never an issue from the I mean, you know, I, I know whatever people think of WIP and whatever people think of Angelo. I never felt it here. Like I worked really hard and I kept getting rewarded. I did overnights. Then I moved. I was Steve and Mike's producer. I produced Jody Mack. I was Glenn Macnow's very first producer. I couldn't get on air, and I kept giving Bigby, uh, Tom Bigby was our program, I kept giving him tapes, giving him tapes, and he kept saying, you don't have any experience. And it's the conundrum. Right. Well, how do you get the experience? So I got offered a morning show gig uh, to be the producer slash on air uh, sidekick at WXTU, um, and I did sports over there. So they let me do it all, and after a year and a half, only time I've ever been fired in my career, 
I was there a year and a half, but I was also working part-time here. Once Bigby heard me on air over there, I was allowed to come back here and do updates part-time. It was ridiculous. So I uh, came back in 1997, and I've been ever, here ever since. So when you first come to WIP in 91, yep. um, do you seek out a job at WIP, or did they? Oh, yeah, no, no. I, I, I sought one out, and you'll find this very funny. The first guy who took me around on my first tour, Joseph A. Wechter Jr. So Joe and I have known each other for a long, long, long time. And I believe it was Bill Campbell's last day on air. And uh, so Joe took me around, and here we go, like 30 years later, we're still together, almost, we're still uh, working together. And you were obviously excited to start working at Oh, my God, I was, because I listened. Right, right. I mean, I was, I, I was a caller. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, I so it was. that's the story for a lot of us. Yeah. But, you know, um, and then in 97, yep. you joined the morning show? Yep, I joined the morning show. with Angelo and, uh, you know, this, did they approach you? or I was the backup okay. um, for the, the person who was doing the updates. And I just, I, I guess her contract was up and I kind of, you know, knew that that was how, and I didn't know if she was coming back. So I just, you know, show up an hour before Angelo and he didn't know anything. I know, kids, this is going to be really crazy for you to understand. The internet was kind of new at that time. And for Angelo, it was, comp- you see how far it is for him today. Right. Imagine 20 years ago. So I would just, I would come in and I would have printed out all the stories that hit overnight. And he'd be like, where did you get this? So I just, you know, kept doing it, kept hitting all that stuff. And, you know, finally earned my, uh, earned my way into uh, to the morning show, to having it permanently. 22 years later, and Rhea Hughes is still a cornerstone on the 94 WIP morning show. Whether you love them or hate them, Al Morgani, Angelo Cataldi, and Rhea Hughes have put together one of the most popular sports radio shows ever. Their formula of hard work, strong opinions, and a lot of fun still works today. Still here. Is it like a job? Do you love it every day? Oh, I love it every day. I mean... so fresh and fun every day. It's, it's It's different. You know, I never know. Sometimes I know what to expect. So you're like, okay. I mean, when I went to bed last night, I knew exactly, you know, we're going to talk about the Phillies getting killed by the Da. You kind of know, but sometimes stuff happens on the air that you're just not prepared for. So, um, but it's always, I'm, I'm never bored. That, that's for right. sure. I'm absolutely never bored. What's working with Angelo like for you? <laughs> I know people want to know that question. You have to be, um, you have to be mentally strong. Because, listen, I've been with him over 20 years, and there are still two to three times a week I get screamed at by him. I mean, absolutely flat out. And, and sometimes I'll say to him, no, we got to do it this way. And he argues with me, and then something happens, and he goes, you know, we should have done it this way. And I'm like, hello, yes, uh, you know, McFly. It's, it's challenging. He, um, when he says to people in the air, like I know people go, oh, you know, guys don't hustle in baseball. It's not that you – nobody hustles in their job. I've never met anybody who never takes – I mean – he takes no moment off, and so therefore we're not allowed to. So when he talks about that on the air, it's something that he lives. So, I, you know, I I know I can't get something wrong, disappoint him, not get the guest he wants. I mean, I have to deliver for him 24-7. So, But he also, I will say he also appreciates the work you do. So that's cool. And he's nuts, which makes things, you know. <laughs> Be, like cool. being on the air for 22 years at WFP yeah. is an incredible accomplishment, but – let alone being a female on the <laughs> air at WIP. It's it's a rare thing in itself no. for a year or two. I mean, I don't even remember if there's ever been, a, a, I mean, there's, you know, sporadically here no. and there. But um, do you take pride in that at this point? 
Um, uh, is that cross your mind? Like I do, it stopped crossing my mind a long time ago, but it was funny. I was having a conversation with somebody recently, and I said, I'm lucky I didn't start in the Twitter age or social media because I think back to the mistakes I made, you know, to how I was, I was young and raw and didn't really understand. I mean, Angela had to teach me a lot about how to debate on the air. How to you know get into it with a caller, but you know at the end, kind of, you know how to make fun of yourself, all those kind of things. Not take care. Sometimes I'll go nuts on people, and then sometimes I'll just totally kill myself. Right. It makes it better. It makes it easier. But I, I'm lucky. I think if I had started in the Twitter era, I might not have made it. Right. Um, but I, I don't think about it as much anymore because I don't. You know, there's so many women doing it now, which is cool. I love you know that you can turn on. But yeah, I guess when I started, you know, it was kind of. But I. I just never felt like, uh, listen, I would get letters and stuff like that, you know, you belong in the kitchen, and I would read them on the air and go, the last place you would ever want me is in the kitchen, um, because I could kill you there. On the radio, I can't kill you, but I I just, I come from a real strong family, a real strong mom, and so I just never let any of it, but I just, you know, I came in, I knew if I worked hard, I would would have a job every day. Right. Um, In terms of the sports teams... Like Eagles, Philly still won for you. Is that always like is that like the in your culture in your DNA or it's kind of I always I mean because it's it's such it's an everyday thing. Um, so that's I think that what I love about it. Like baseball is my friend every day right. almost. You know, except for the stupid All Star break, which I hate. I lo- I do love football, but it's you know it's one day a week. So uh, I think you know baseball is. Like I said, it's just, it's always there for me. Like, I, I can watch it every single day, and, and I do love, not this current team, but I do love it. Still, <coughs> sorry. Still live, you live in South Philly now? Now I live in South Philly. I'm raising um, a little redheaded boy in South Philly. So, How yeah. How old is Clark now? He turns 10 in August. And, and what's that experience like? I mean, is he <laughs> starting to love sports too? Starting bit? to, because okay. um, in the beginning, like when he was young, around four or five, I think I scared him a lot because I yell a lot at the, right. <laughs> the TV. And he would always go, you know, Mama, they can't hear you. And uh, and I would yell, and he'd go, you're hurting my feelings. And I'd go, they're hurting my feelings. These were generally at Temple games that, you know, Temple's the one that I still get really upset at. Or, you know, very emotional, I guess is the word. Temple, basketball, and football. I just, you know, I just do. They're, uh, I, I think because they're not professionals, I feel more um, um, just emotional about them. But see, he's now starting to watch games with me. And for the first time, he watched the Super Bowl with me, which was great. And when he gets married someday, I will recount at his wedding how he completely tried to ruin the Super Bowl. Watching the whole first half with me. Second half, he goes, I'm a little tired. And I go, that's unusual. I told him he could stay up and watch. the whole. And yeah. it wasn't late. It was, you know, game started at 6 right. o'clock. And after about 15 minutes, I go, I'm not hearing anything. I go, and I feel his forehead, take his 104.5 fever, and I'm like, I'm going to have to go to the freaking hospital at the Super Bowl. And uh, so we had to do the cold. I called his pediatrician, and she goes, Rhea, you're kidding me. It's the Super Bowl. I go, yeah, pretty aware of that, that it's the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. And uh, she goes, you don't want to go there you know, tonight. So she said, just do the cold compresses, stick them in, you know, try not to give medicine, you know, because it's, You'll get it down. And uh, I will tell people out there, cold compresses actually work. So my brother and I were doing the cold compress thing back and forth every five minutes. We had put like six washcloths in. But I'm watching the game. But, you know, yeah, (laughs) but I'm doing this. And but, you know, you're half mom brain and half going, I got to talk about this game tomorrow on the air. So it's like, 
you know, it's a really crazy thing going through my mind. So I'm watching the game, but I keep putting my hand out for the cold compress. And I watched the last play of the game where, you know, Gronk drops the ball and, you know, and I held my hand out for the next cold compress. And my brother hands me a glass of champagne and I'm like, what is this? I'm like, where? And he goes, they won. And I actually burst into tears because I just, I think I was overwhelmed. And my little jackass son said something, goes, can I go up to Broad Street with everybody? I'm like, kill you. So it was pretty funny. But he is starting to watch games with me, which is fun. First time ever this season, worst season for him to do it. He woke up. You know, I, I leave for work at 4 a.m., so I'm not there when he gets up in the morning. Woke up, and the first thing out of his mouth was, can you ask Mommy if the Phillies won? I was like, yes. Yeah, I, think if I'm, I think I'm finally getting them. And you, you're, you're still real close with all your brothers and sisters? Well, they're all, yeah, they're, I mean, my one brother lives with me, so he helps me with Clark because obviously I'm not there in the morning to get him get him off to school sometimes. And uh, so uh, one sister lives in Reading. I got a brother and sister live in Ohio. Yeah, they're all around here, but one lives in Germany. So, yeah, they're all, it's cool. hard to get us all in one place at one time. Right. But, yeah. Sure, so like, Are they proud that you work with Angela on WIP? Like, is that a thing? Or well, like, it's not, uh, my sister lives in Cincinnati and listens every morning. Right. So, and you're generally my sister Stephanie and texts me every morning. Tell Angela. I'm like, yeah. stop acting like a caller. And she goes, well, I'm or, or a listener. And she goes, but I am. <laughs> doesn't matter that you're my sister. And my parents uh, live in Florida. And uh, and they listen every morning as well, so I'll, I'll get text messages from them, which is pretty funny. So, so it's cool. Last question I ask everyone yep. on, the, on the podcast: Do you think there was like a a moment in your career path or life that made you like that? Could, you could have went two ways; could have went one or two ways, and you you know you, it could have been a fork in the road for you. Oh, absolutely! You tough decision. Before I took this, before I took the job at WIP. I interviewed with a guy to go work out at a and do sports, but in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I came super close to taking it. And it, w- it wasn't going to be for a lot more money, but it was definitely, and you know, when you're 21, yeah. to, you know, $10,000 more means a lot. And, uh, and I just said, you know, this, I've always, I, you know, I always wanted to work at WIP. Rhea Hughes, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Thanks for listening to Wired This Way. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.